the number one thing most of these books preach is to be successful, you just need to be confident. Not to say be confident and you don't know shit and you're going to rise up in the ranks, but if you're confident and you're willing to do what it takes to get the job done, I think that combination is so powerful. Welcome to Beyond the Dollar, a podcast where we have deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. I'm Sarah Lee Kane, founder of High Fiving Dollars. And I'm Garrett Philbin, the founder of Be Awesome Not Broke. As money coaches, we want to give you space to explore your relationship with money. The guilt, stress, exhilaration, and fear, no topic is taboo. In this episode, we talk about what commanding your worth means in practice and how your feeling of self-worth often impacts your ability to ask for more. We dive into the idea of rejection and how someone saying no to your offer doesn't reflect on who you are as a person. We also share examples of how we've commanded our worth and offer practical tips on how to feel more confident in asserting yours. To find resources we shared in this episode, head over to www.beyondthedollar.co. Okay, get ready, grab a seat, and let's go beyond the dollar. Hey everyone, welcome back. This is season two. Woo woo! <laughs> season two of Beyond the Dollar yeah. is here, ladies and gentlemen. And if this is your first time listening, welcome. We're so excited to have you. As always, if you guys have any questions or comments, please hit me up on Twitter or you can always email us at hello at beyondthedollar.co. Yes, and season two, I'm so excited to dive right back in. We did 12 episodes for season one, took about a month and a half off, and we're like, we can't wait anymore. So let's just get back and do this. I want to dive right in. Today, we're going to be talking about commanding our worth. Sarah, why is this concept so important, and why are we talking about it? <laughs> That's let's a, just, let's just like, dive okay. right in, you know? I think... I'm trying to remember if I brought this up to you or or we just simultaneously said this was like a great topic was I get so many questions about this and specifically like how do I negotiate for a higher salary or how do I ask clients for more money? If so many people are asking us these questions, it's definitely an important topic to cover. Yeah. And why is it so important? What are some of the consequences for people when they don't feel comfortable asking for what they're worth or commanding their worth or value. I think at the end of the day, commanding value is really all about adding value to the world. And if you're going to be doing something that's really going to benefit the world, right, whether it's art or saving the environment. Or working at a desk job. I mean, there are different ways that you can give back. There's so many different ways. And so it's really important that when you are giving it your all and you are bringing all that value into the world in in a positive way, you want to be able to be compensated for it, right? Because if you're not, you're going to be burnt out, you're going to be stressed, you're going to start resenting the person that's paying you or compensating you. And then all of that negative energy is then going to be fed back into your work, or you're probably going to quit and find something else that maybe isn't as fulfilling or... Yeah, I think resentment is a really big thing that I've seen come up for myself, when in previous jobs or even when working with clients, sometimes if I don't stick to what it is that I actually want or communicate that, then I get resentful. But what's interesting is that it's actually me who isn't asking for what it is that I want. Back in my job at Sony, I didn't ask for a raise. 
And sometimes with clients, I would really undercut my value because I was just getting started and worried about, oh, well, if they don't accept the price that I put out there, then that's a rejection of me, right? Then I am not good enough. I don't deserve it. And then it really becomes tied to like my value as a human rather than just whether they want or don't want the service I'm providing at the price that I quoted them. Yeah. And in some in some aspects, too, there is this real fear of the worst case scenario. So let's say you do lose your job or you're trying to put food on the table and you're running a business and it's not bringing in enough in that if it's, I don't want to say life or death situation, but let's say you're just struggling to pay your rent, you're you're just willing to take then whatever it is that you're being offered because you're like, no, I need to pay the rent and I'm desperate. So there's also that practical side of things as well. What do you think about that? I think it's absolutely real. And that goes to kind of the practical side of personal finance and why it's important to have a three to six month rainy day fund. So if you lose your job or when you lose your job, I think it's something that most people will go through at some point in their life. You then are prepared for it. So a lot of, you know, beyond the dollar is really a conversation beyond the practical elements of personal finance, but those are still incredibly important because you want to have those things in place so that when shit hits the fan, you are in a position where you don't just have to jump at the first opportunity that comes your way. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of giggling a little bit because I always say poop hits the fan because I have kids around. <laughs> it's just a side tangent. <laughs> I don't have a three-year-old in my life, so I'm a little bit more of a, of a sailor from time to time. So I totally agree with you with the, with the buffer account. And I think when we talk about commanding our worth – I feel like a a lot of people automatically think about negotiating for higher salary or pushing for more income from your business, something like that. Whereas we talked in the very last episode of season one about how can we stretch ourselves in order to grow or whether it's our income potential or just being happy in our lives. So if we want to go with that vein, commanding our worth can also be asserting a boundary. So it could be saying no to extra work over the weekend, let's say. It could be saying no to multiple client requests. It could be saying, you know what, I'm worth it. I'm going to take an hour off on the weekends. I'm, I'm going to range a babysitter and I'm just going to go and lounge by the pool. Those are all ways of also commanding our worth. And they do have a huge effect on your finances. What I'm hearing is actually a couple different elements of it. So for me, negotiating and whether it's your salary or putting a certain number out for clients is really about asking for what we believe our value is in a business context, right? In, in a financial context. I think that taking time for ourselves and valuing ourselves is, it's similar, but actually different too, because that's a valuing of our own worth to ourselves, which is an important element because I think when we don't negotiate our salaries, when we don't ask for the price that we want when working with clients is that it comes from a place of lack of confidence and a lack of, I guess, yeah, valuing our own worth. And, and it's hard because worth, we're using it in a couple different ways I'm sensing right now, where it is both the value we provide in a transactional or relational business context, but also 
how we see ourselves, which definitely does impact um, what, how we charge and how we value ourselves in business. Yeah, and it's so complicated too. And I, I, I'm victim of this from time to time is that we equate our worth in terms of like salary or our job performance with our self-worth. And so when we feel like we're rejected, let's say you were asking for a 5% raise and you got a 4% raise, you're feeling that rejection not because somebody isn't willing to pay you more, but it's almost like a personal attack on who you are as a person. And it sounds completely silly and all of us are like, no, common sense dictates that's not it at all. But emotionally, I know a lot of people feel that way. I'll actually push back and be like, everyone feels that way. <laughs> and we may know that we shouldn't, but it's just human nature in the same sense that this whole podcast exists because we believe that you can't separate life and emotions and behavior from money, that it's not just cold, hard financial decisions. And so that's so true. This is just another example of that where, yeah, if you ask for something, especially in a financial context and someone says no, it's really friggin' hard to not see that as a rejection of you as a person because so much of what we do, well, certainly for me, I'll own this language, so much of what I do is wrapped up in my work. And I put so much of myself into my work that it is hard to separate the two. So when there is an acceptance of, so if I put a price out there and someone accepts it, there's a part of me that's like, oh yeah, I'm great, I'm awesome, I'm delivering value. And then, you know, on the other side of the coin, if they say no, then it's like, oh, I'm a failure. I'm the worst. And neither is true. Like if they say yes, it doesn't mean I'm this badass who has the greatest service and products in the world. <laughs> and if they reject me, it doesn't mean I'm a failure and I'm the worst. But it is so funny. It's like it is. Well, oftentimes it feels inseparable. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I agree. There was an example that was really funny. Uh, I did Landmark Forum about a month ago, and they had an example where the forum leader brought up this topic and said, you know what? Here, I'm going to give an example. Uh, brought a woman up on stage, sat her down and said, okay, do you want a piece of chocolate? And the woman said, no. And the forum leader was like, okay, so just Everyone noticed it. Did she say no to me as a human being or no to the piece of chocolate? We're like, oh, it's no. She maybe doesn't like dark chocolate or light chocolate. And it was just like, can you see how ridiculous then it is in this example to see that a no for chocolate, that we believe that it's a no for ourselves. And once we start using examples where we are much more tied into the no, like our work that we're talking about, it for some reason does make it harder to distinguish between the two for us. But I think going back to an example like that, of like, oh, someone just said no to my chocolate. That actually has since made it a bit easier for me to, to not take it so personally. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like when you go in window shop, it's almost the same thing where you're Okay, you seem like you're interested. You're probably feeling the texture of a shirt. You're trying to think of you know all the items in the wardrobe would match with, and you really like it. But you're like, not quite ready to commit. And sometimes employers are like that, right? Sometimes they they maybe they don't have enough money in their budget, or they're waiting for more approval. You never know. Like just because you're. I hate the word, but let's say you are rejected for a raise. It might not actually be because they don't want to give it to you. There could be a whole host of other reasons. But because we're making up these stories in our head, 
it's so easy then for all of us to think, no, I'm just a horrible human being or I'm just so bad at my job. And then it spirals down to, oh my gosh, I'm going to get fired, you know, <laughs> like stuff like that. We come up with these stories for a reason because something is creating these stories within us. What are the reasons that we come up with these stories? So I think a lot of it has to do with our confidence levels. It also has to do with the scripts that we've we tell ourselves all the time, whether they're conscious or, or unconscious. And I we, I know we talked in season one about a lot about that, where growing up, you learn habits and behaviors from your parents about money. So this is very much intertwined with that. So you can even relate to how you grew up around your parents when they have conversations with, the, with each other, because you're negotiating all the time. It's not about this formal, like, here, let's look at your employee evaluation and let's determine a, a bonus, right? It, you negotiate all the time. So for example, let's say, Garrett and I, when we brainstorm topics for the podcast, we're actually in a conversation where we're negotiating, like, oh, do you like this idea? Yes, but, and then you would suggest something else. So we're, we're, in a sense, yes, we're brainstorming and collaborating, but it is a negotiating, there's negotiation in there as well. And so when when you grow up hearing those conversations or seeing people doing that, maybe that there's a script inside your head thinking, oh, maybe I can't negotiate because my mother never did growing up. For example, if your family was really non-confrontational, then confrontation is something that makes you really uncomfortable. And so that idea, if someone says no, you're just going to accept it. I mean, that was something that happened in my family. So there, I have a hard time dealing with, not dealing with confrontation, but saying what it is I really feel or what I really want sometimes because things would just get swept under the rug. And not that there were massive issues that were out there that weren't addressed, but even just saying, hey, I want this or I don't like when you do this, um, though that was a script that I definitely learned. And so not asking for what I want has stayed with me and shows up in a lot of different ways and definitely has affected me when it comes to commanding my worth. Yeah, I, I was just a yes. I grew up in, well, not my my immediate family, but my relatives. So my father grew up in an extremely patriarchal household. And so there's this hierarchy, it's really, really traditional. I'm not saying it's good or bad, but it's very traditional. So as in the older brother sort of makes life decisions for the younger siblings and things like that. And so I remember I couldn't argue my points as to, I think I, there was like a middle school I really wanted to go to, but I was eventually forced to go to another one because my uncle basically said, this one's better. And so I grew up with this, you can't question the authority figure, or even if you did, you're going to be met with so much resistance, it's not worth it. And so I had to fight that script a lot <laughs> growing up and even now, because I think, oh, well, I don't really have permission to do this. Whereas, you know, I have to fight that all the time where I'm like, no, I I do. It's just this script that I, that I had grown up that I just have to acknowledge and move on. When you were talking about the person at the company who might not accept your offer or might not give you a raise. And there could be a lot of reasons for it, right? So when you were talking about that, it brought up for me, what is to say that you as the person asking for the raise couldn't then say, you know, I hear that you don't accept this offer or that this doesn't work for you right now. And I'm just curious if you're willing to share you know, what's behind that decision for you. Um, and that's something I never would have thought of. And, and, you know, if you were brought up not to really question authority, you might not do that either. But 
I don't know why we are so scared to do that. Why so many of us, or at least in my experience and the conversations I've had with friends, it's almost like we're worried we would get fired or we would be penalized if we just ask. Do you have any insight into where that comes from? Is that more of a still a confidence issue? Is that a confidence and the stories? Just because I've I've heard that so much and seen it happen in my own I, life, I, where like, a decision comes like. down and it's like, cool, I'll accept <laughs> it. I'm scared to even just question. So few things. It depends on the industry you're in. So I'll just use myself as an example. As a teacher, there has always been a pay scale. And so when I graduated, I knew that, hey, I'm at zero years of experience. I have a master's degree. This is what I'm going to get paid. And that's it. And so you move up in the pay scale as you go. So for some people, negotiating really isn't a question because it's all laid out and like, this is what you get paid. These are the benefits you get. Kind of take it or leave it. So there's that. Okay. This other one too is I think for many people who graduated during the recession, we were a lot of us were underemployed. I mean, I was underemployed. Mm-hmm. A lot of us were even unemployed, even having to take jobs at Starbucks, McDonald's, places like that. And so we are just so grateful. And we, as in myself and some other friends, I wouldn't speak for everybody, but a lot of us were so grateful to even get a job that was tied to our college degree or what we studied for that we were almost willing to not even ask for more or even negotiate benefits for the sake of like taking that job because it's kind of almost dangled in front of us. So there's there's that too. One part of this I do want to address because you brought up with being a teacher, having a very set pay scale. And so kind of knowing that this is what it is supposed to be and there not being that much room for negotiation. But in a lot of jobs, there is room for negotiation, but different types of people negotiate in different ways. And also there, uh, there's a study that you shared with me where genders negotiate at a very different rate. And so this idea of commanding your worth and being willing to negotiate really translates into a, the wealth gap, not translates into, it is a part of the wealth gap, right? There are many things that contribute to it, including just very outright bias where men want to pay women less. But that was an interesting thing for sure of seeing the statistic that I think it was 7% of women negotiate their salaries against, I think, 50 plus, like 53 or 57% of men. And that if women were to negotiate at the same rate as men, then they would, I think, decrease the wage gap by half. Now, let's also speak to the fact that women who are assertive are seen as bitches versus men who are <laughs> assertive are seen as, you know, just being good negotiators and being men, you know, good businessmen. So there is that inherent problem. Um, but yeah, I honestly want to open up the floor to you and just see if you have experience or your friends have experience with that and negotiating and how challenging that can be from the perspective of a woman. Oh my gosh, Garrett, do you really want to open this can of worms? <laughs> I do. And because, I mean, women are paid, what, 79, 80 cents on the dollar compared to men Uh uh on the whole. So it's, yeah, it is worth talking about. And we will not have the answers for all of this. But if there are specific things you might be able to share from your experience or from the experience of your friends that you learned um, that could be helpful for somebody listening. I don't want to go too much into it. I, I think this might be actually topic for another episode. I almost feel like men are willing to negotiate more because 
they feel like they have the permission to. And we can talk a whole about a whole host of societal factors that lead to that. And especially in the non-Western world, like for example, China, Middle East. We're not talking about that. We're talking about North America and, and Europe, right? Places like that. Yeah. So going with those places, I don't know, part of it, I think there's that pressure for men to succeed externally, like earn more, 10x my investments. There's also also the perception of women like, yeah, you're going to be seen as a bitch if you ask for more, or you're going to be seen as a difficult woman, which I've that's a term I've heard too, if you want to ask for more. And so I get called out all the time, especially when I lived in China, right? Number one, I'm an Asian female. So I had to play by quote unquote their rules in China. And I'm a female. So that it, the, all of that kind of played into negotiating as well when I was there. And so I feel like that has an effect, but at the same time, there's all these internal scripts that we grew up with, or that there's these beliefs that we have where it leads us to not negotiating as well. There is a statistic I read too. It's not a statistic, but just a comment where men are more willing to, or more comfortable with saying they can do something when they haven't done it before or aren't aren't fully confident that they can, but they'll just kind of bullshit it, I think is the most appropriate way of putting it and be like, yeah, no, totally. I can do it. And then they'll figure out how, and women are much less likely to do that. And so then that also can stop women from reaching for something that might be a little bit above what they have done, but they would be absolutely qualified for. Um, I'm not one to use one example and say that this is a universal truth, but there is a friend of mine who for probably three or four consecutive jobs, she just self-admittedly admittedly said, I don't really know how to do this, but I just said that I did and told them that I did. And she got the job and then figured it out. And so she is someone who rose to like vice president level and she's 30, probably four right now, but this was even four years ago. And she's just like, yeah, I didn't really know how to do it, but I know I'm smart enough to figure it out. And she was able to do it. The, not that this is a universal truth, but it was really interesting. And when she took that approach, doors opened up for her and people were just like, sure, I believe you. That's awesome. Go her. That's amazing. Yeah, I she's think, kind of a badass. And I read a lot of business books as well. I'm The number one thing most of these books preach is to be successful, you just need to be confident. And so now- not to say be confident and you don't know shit and you're going to rise up in the ranks. Like that's totally not what I'm saying. But if you're confident and you're willing to do what it takes to get the job done, I think that combination is so powerful. And just speaking to women less likely to say they know something unless they actually do know it. I also wonder, maybe I'll leave this out to the listeners. Please email or tweet me. I I'm really curious about it is do we feel like we have to prove ourselves because of uh, our position in society or the way that society views us traditionally? And even maybe, I guess, a little bit now is that we feel like we have to prove ourselves. So therefore, if we say we know something and we really don't and we're kind of caught, it it brings us back a little bit. I'm wondering if that's, I don't know, that's something I'm going to throw out there. <laughs> Definitely tweet at Sarah or send us an email. That'll be really interesting to see what you guys think. As entrepreneurs, right? So in your business and in my business, I know I've had to take leaps and I know that you have as well uh, of just doing something before you felt ready. Like I still deal with imposter syndrome and know I will every single day until I die. 
And it's something that's really universal when you start something that hasn't that you've never done before, that I've never done before. And so at every turn, because I wear a lot of different hats in my business, I'm just trying new things and seeing what works. And so I have to be willing to say I can do something or try something and be willing to fail. And so I think entrepreneurship has certainly helped me feel more confident, has helped me be willing to trust that if I don't know it, it's not I'm going to say I'm perfect at it, um, but I'm willing to give it a try. And then if it doesn't work out, own it and just say, hey, I I tried and it didn't work out how I wanted to, but I am going to take ownership and make it right. And I'm just curious if you feel the same way and how that's shown up in your experience. Yes, I have two examples. Actually, I have one example and then I have a point. (laughs) So the point I want to make is that there are an increasing number of companies that aren't necessarily hiring for skill. They're hiring for potential. They're hiring for personality. And by personality, I don't mean are you haha funny or serious or sexy, like wear short skirts, things like that. I'm talking I don't about think that's personality either. Uh, <laughs> I just threw that out there. But I was like, all right, Sarah's been drinking. It's cool. Yeah, we sometimes do this. We take a shot beforehand and we see what comes up. Like, You're what's, welcome. What's in the Season lemon two, water today? Starting off hot, baby. Here we go. All right, so, back to you. If you think about it, technology has been advancing so much. I remember like not even having a smartphone. Six years ago, I've resisted for the longest time even. So if you think about all of these products aren't even created yet, all of these services, the industry, whatever industry you're in is probably going to change drastically in the next couple of years. So who cares if you know how to do JavaScript? Who cares if you know how to write technical stuff, right? It it has about to the willingness to learn. Are you willing to have a growth mindset? All of these things. And so employers, I think, are have finally caught on to that. A lot of the the successful ones anyways are caught on to that. And so if even if you don't know something, think about it that way. Think about what have I done to prove my worth in other situations? Doesn't have to be work. What have I done? So an example is I'm actually a certified high school teacher. I did not want to teach little kids. I was like, I refuse. I'm only going to teach teenagers. Went to China. I was hired for a middle school position. And then the first day of work, they're like, you're teaching grade two. And so I'm like, holy shit, if I want this job, I need to like better buck up and learn how to teach grade two. And so the first six months, I mean, I went home crying every day. I'm not going to lie. It was a extremely difficult. Like I was very humbled. I had to like deal with my ego and ask for help and reread a lot of curriculum booklets, all of that. Even classroom management had people coming into my classroom every day to observe me, but I did it. And it took me six months of just hard work. And I'm not saying you need six months and I'm a great teacher. I'm saying six months and I was competent enough to say I am a grade school teacher or an elementary school teacher. And so I was forced into that. (laughs) Um, And then I was also, I remember applying for a position to teach, excuse me, grade one as well. And then when I went to the school, they're like, oh, no, it's grade one, two, and three all in the same classroom because we just don't have enough enrollment. And so then I had to learn about that. How? What's the differences between the kids? But it it was so rewarding to know that I can do that. And I've transferred that confidence and the potential for learning new skills into my business. So thinking of things that people can take away for how to command their worth and 
practice. Um, this was an example of when times got hard, you just like buckled down. You're like, okay, this is a different situation than I expected. So I'm going to go back to the books. I'm going to realize where I am deficient, not deficient, but where I just need to go back and learn. And so sometimes just hard work and diving back in. What are some practical ways for people who don't feel like they can command their worth, especially when maybe they're having a hard time separating um, their self-worth from the worth and the value that they're charging. What is an example that you can think of that isn't the fantastic chocolate example that I gave? Let's imagine that doesn't work for <laughs> half the listeners. What is something else that you could recommend? Okay, so something I do, I do this with my clients a lot and they hate me for it, <laughs> is I want them to recognize the hard work that that they've done. So it doesn't have to be career-related. And so I think Building your confidence has to do with taking action. And so even looking back at your past, the past year and thinking like, what are the things I've actually done, right? Will actually boost your confidence because you're like, you know what? I'm an action taker. I just don't remember that I did these things. And so this is the activity that everyone hates is you name 52 things that you have done this year that was good. It sounds easy, but it's really freaking difficult. I can imagine. I mean, I think five to 10 would come easy, but for those of us who don't acknowledge our accomplishments, that then trying to get past that and really giving ourselves permission to say, no, I, I did that and I did that well. It's something I certainly don't do very well. And so I could see that being a, a challenging exercise for sure. Yeah. And I want to add to, it doesn't have to be like a huge accomplishment. There's a really great book that I highly recommend. It's called Overcoming Under Earning. So it's almost a misleading title because it, it yes, it talks about earning more money, but at the end of the day, it's about having a better life and, and f having more self-esteem and the money follows as a result. But anyway, so Barbara Stanley is the one who wrote it and her main point is that things happen a little bit at a time. So if you doing any little thing to actually just progress towards a goal, you're doing fine. So maybe one of the 52 things could be, I woke up at 5 a.m. today and I usually don't. That is an accomplishment right there. Yeah, and if tackling it all at once seems hard, there was a, um, I signed up for a newsletter and I can't remember the name of the person, so I apologize for not giving him credit, but he has a format. So just every week you write down, what are some of the highlights I had this week? What are some things that I did well? Um, what are some things you can do next week to ensure that you have a great week? So just being intentional uh, in that sense. And then check in with specific initiatives you care about. So it's just a, another way, not as direct, but just another way, because now it's fun when I go back and I look at this list to see, oh, right, here's some things that I planned six months ago, and here's what I did, and I followed through with some of them, not all of them, but it's cool to be able to then have that history and go back and see kind of the mindset at the time and just kind of scroll back and see what that progression has been six months, 12 months or more. Yeah. Something I also recommend is consistently asking for feedback. If you're in a nine to five, don't wait till your annual review to get a review. Find some way to incorporate feedback into every aspect of your daily routine. And for me, because I work at home by myself, I don't really see people all that much. Sounds really bad. But anyway, <laughs> I how I incorporate feedback is I, I time block things. And so my feedback is 
okay, if it's taking me an hour and a half and I scheduled out three hours, then something is off. Like, so maybe the feed, so I'm getting feedback in terms of like how efficient I'm being or that. So that's really how I'm getting feedback. So it doesn't have to be talking to a person, but the more you do talk to people, the easier it will be if you do get a quote unquote rejection from somebody later down the line. Awesome. I want to end this episode with a question. How will you take your own worth and value out of the equation? So like we talked about your self-worth. So how will you take that out of the equation when you're asking for more or negotiating in the future? Yes. And tweet us, email us. I read every single tweet. Garrett will read every single email. Mm -hmm. And we definitely, if you have more questions that you want us to answer on the podcast, we will definitely welcome those as well. Thank you guys so much for joining us for season two. We're excited to have more Garrett and Sarah coming at you here shortly. So thank you guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beyond the Dollar. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you'll be the first to know when new episodes are released. And if you can think of one awesome human who would connect with what we talked about today, we'd love you forever if you shared this episode with them. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Beyond the Dollar.